0: Good morning. <laughs> it is fifty degrees at it's like, uh, what is it 's like not at seven thirty in the morning i 'm out walking trails as is my usual habit a week ago this very day at this very time it was twelve degrees and snow on the ground a week later it 's fifty and muddy from all the rain this is <laughs> this is crazy which is very interesting because it's exactly what I thought would happen. Not because I'm a mystic and I can see the future, <laughs> but because I saw a woolly worm about a month ago. I don't know if you've ever heard of this. This is really interesting to me. Um, there are different old school ways of determining whether a winter will be hard. One of those ways, some people say, um, how many days of fog you have is how many days of snow powder or snow dusting you'll have. I've heard that phrase. Other people say you can tell the severity of a coming winter based on how thick an animal's winter coat is. A dog or, I don't know, gerbils, whatever. <laughs> I've also, this is and this is what I go by, I've also been told, and I believe... The color of a woolly worm tells you the kind of winter you have. I don't know if you've ever seen a woolly worm. It is a worm. It's probably about an inch and a half long. If you measure the distance from the tip of your finger to your knuckle, it's probably about the length of most woolly worms. They are bristly. They are, they have this like very rigid, um, bristle coat, like a, like a, like a plastic mop bristle, but it's like goes out in every direction, and they're black and orange. But the black represents winter, and the orange represents, or the black represents bad winter, the orange represents mild winter. And that woolly worm I saw a month ago had a tiny little speck of black on the front, tiny speck of black on the back, and a lot of orange in the middle, which means bad start to winter, big mild part of winter all through the middle and then a bad end to winter and that's what we had we, a week ago it was like 12 degrees snowing we got four to five inches of snow and now it's 50 degrees and it's going to be in the 60s crazy <laughs> hey guys this is the construction monk podcast i'm your host jay randall Ori thanks for joining me. I am a spiritual director, a teacher of contemplation and a carpenter. That's why I call myself a construction monk, because I am a contemplative and a carpenter. Contemplative is just, it's the oldest Christian tradition. It just means that I seek to know God personally. That's what a mystic is. Someone who seeks to really hear God, to have a direct intimate relationship with God. And then I'm also a carpenter, which means I'm just, like I'm a regular guy. I'm a regular guy who's mystic, which maybe isn't so regular, but I have this, you know, balance between maybe what some people might see as very weird and out there and just a very common life. Uh, Most contemplatives, if you didn't know, uh, throughout the history of Christianity have lived in monasteries. So I am not a monk in a monastery. I'm a monk in everyday life. That's why I'm a construction monk. Anyway, today I want to talk about mind-body-spirit. Mind-body-spirit. I want to talk about this idea that we are these parts. We are, a, we are a person with parts that make up our whole. I was having this conversation with a friend of mine. He's a pastor in Indiana. Um, I don't remember the church he's a pastor of. A little small country church in more rural Indiana. But um, we are having this conversation... And he was telling me a lot of his younger congregates he's just in the season where a lot of his younger congregates are coming to him for counseling. And he's like and he told me he's like they all go to professional counselors, you know, like paid, professional, gone to school, certified, have a degree, counselor, but they still come to him because it's like the counseling they're getting from this professional counselor isn't quite enough. And he was saying it's kind of a new thing for him. He's been a pastor at this church for five years. Um, he's just now starting to do some counseling. Just the need has just arose organically. But he's like, I don't know. You know, I'm just. He was like, kind of talking to me about. Well, I don't know if I am a counselor. You know, I, this is part of pastoring. But he's like, I don't know, kind of how this works. What am What am I supposed to do? And so, um, I kind of shot back. We communicate through an audio recording app. So I kind of answered back and I said, Well, you know, I think there's a reason for that. I think uh, modern psychology sees the human person as a mind and a body. And they typically think the mind controls the body. So the root of everything in modern psychology is the mind. If there's something wrong, it's in the mind. So a counselor generally trained in psychology is addressing issues in the mind so the mind affects the emotions and and the emotions affect the body and a lot of times even in psychology they really see the body itself as just chemical processes right like you know so if you're having some kind of mental illness issues or um, you're in need of counseling you're you're having I don't know, whatever you want, depression, anxiety, like any reason you go to a counselor, like they're either going to, you're either gonna go to a counselor and you're gonna talk, they're gonna try and help you understand what's going on in your mind, or they're gonna give you drugs and address issues in your body. It's either chemical or mental. Like, because modern psychology based in modern science doesn't really picture our person any more than a mind and a body. And so they only address people's mental health issues in terms of a mind and a body. And that's it. So I know that was kind of a long way to say, like in conversation with my friend, my point was that we are more than a mind and a body. We are mind, body, and spirit. And the the. Bible teaches, most religions teach that really the spirit is the thing at the center. It's the thing that is the deepest reality of who we are, the most significant reality. It is the thing that really is the true core mover at the heart of everything as well. Not the the heart of everything at the heart of us and the heart of the world. Like, you know, even the Bible says talks about in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Everything that is created was created by God. God is spirit. And even in Genesis it says the spirit hovered over the waters. Like, it, it, Scripture, I don't have this Scripture. I looked up a lot of Scriptures because I don't know where I'm going with this really. Um, but there, I didn't look up this Scripture. But it, it says everything that is seen has come from what is unseen. Everything that is... In the material universe, in other words, came from what is immaterial, from what is spirit. So, like the spirit supersedes, precedes and supersedes the material. Oh, there's this uh, song by Sting. We are spirits in a material world. Are spirits in a material world. And then there's Madonna. For we are living in a material world, and I am a material girl. <laughs> hey, I'm not quite up to date on my Madonna. I'm not not a good female vocalist. But you know, Sting says we're mater- we are spirits in a material world. Madonna says I'm a I'm a material. Um, we're living in a material world, and I'm a material girl. Like. <sighs> There's this dichotomy sometimes in how we see ourselves, how we see the world. I think most people believe there's something beyond the physical, whether whether you're religious or not, you know, we watch scary movies, we watch TV shows, there's always the paranormal, the supernatural. there's certainly a fascination with the paranormal supernatural. I think most people at least leave the door open to believe that there could be something beyond. The material about ourselves, about the whole world as a whole um you know ghosts and was all kinds of stories like if you're if you <laughs> whatever you believe about the paranormal, the supernatural, the metaphysical like just do this experiment, google shadow people, and then like you know only if. <laughs> if you want to be spooked out a little and if you're not too afraid because it can be spooky um, my friend actually see, so I've I've had experiences with the supernatural personally, like with especially the demonic and <laughs> I just realized I'm not on the trail I thought I was on this, is, this happens to me all the time I'm walking, I'm like hmm Where am I going? Anyway, somehow I took a divergent path. But I've had some demonic supernatural experiences and some angelic. My friend who I was talking with, I remember one experience he had. He woke up in the middle of the night and there was a crushing presence on his chest. He said it felt like a demon was sitting on his chest. And I don't remember. He prayed... You know, the demon went away. But, like, these are the stories. And I've, there are stories of... The stories of shadow people, where there's people seeing some kind of shadowy person. When I was in my early 20s, um, I was living with a friend in an apartment. I was in my room. I was going to bed. I lay down. I was praying. As I was laying down... You know, going to sleep, I was praying for my brother. Um, one of my brothers struggles with addiction and just really praying for him hardcore, praying for his salvation, praying for his deliverance. And so after I prayed, I closed my eyes and immediately, as soon as I closed my eyes, I immediately start seeing what I would describe as a vision state. I start seeing... My, I'm seeing my room. My eyes are closed. I'm seeing my room just like my eyes were open. But it's on the ceiling. There's all these shadow. It looks. It look like people-sized shadows with bat wings, and they're just like they're moving. It's like this. There's like this. I don't know. Twenty. Just a whole. Th- my whole ceiling looks like a sh- like a smoky shadow fog, and these beings are moving around. And they're just really agitated. And I could feel the presence, this negativity of these, whatever they were, demons, shadow people. And, ah, here I am, back on the right trail. Uh, and, and then I opened my eyes and the vision was done. But really, I really in that moment I knew I had been praying for my brother and I was seeing Somehow seeing the demonic oppression that I was praying against and that, that oppression presence was very angry about how I was praying. And it was really kind of cool because as freaked out as that experience was, it was also like God gave me that experience to say, Hey, guess what? Your prayers are working. <laughs> Isn't that cool? And so, like, I say all that to say, look, you know, we all hear these stories, whether we've had personal experiences or not. We all hear these stories. It's easy, like, these stories are plentiful. People having different experiences. You can call it ghosts, demons, angels. But most people believe there's something beyond the physical. We're not just a mind and a body. And yet, as I was discussing with my friend if when people have mental illness or struggles in life with depression, anxiety, anger, whatever, if it's just like, well, we can either fix this in the mind or in the body, that's an issue. Coming to understand ourselves as a whole person in all our parts is important. That's what I'm trying to say, and that's what I want to talk about. If you think you're just... A mind and a body. That's how you live most of your life, regardless what you believe religiously. If you, if practically you live life like you're just a mind in a body, you're not living life in the fullness of life, in the fullness of who you are. Does that make sense? So that's what I want. I want to talk about that. I want to talk about how do we live life in the fullness of who we are, and in a way like how do we get in tune and live out of all of our parts. When I first started podcasting, um, I talked a lot about what I called the three centers of knowing and being. Um, but basically, it was just the same idea that there's we have all these parts of ourselves. Uh, I called the three centers of knowing heart, mind, and body. It's the three ways we experience the world. We experience the world through our emotions, through our thinking, and through our body, right? And then the three centers of being kind of just talked about our spirit and our body, Which ground and then our soul, which ground us in these two different realities. There's two realities in the world. There's like two worlds layered on top of each other the physical and the spiritual. And we have two different bodies, two different parts of our being, which through which we experience these two different worlds our physical body and our spiritual body. Through our physical body, we experience the the stimulus of the physical world, through our spiritual body, we've experienced the stimulus of the spiritual world. And we experience both of those through the mind, the heart, and the body, through sensations and emotions and thoughts, right? You can go back and listen to those. I don't know. I haven't listened to them forever. Maybe they're not that good. (laughs) But um, the whole, just the basic idea is that we have all these parts mind, body, spirit. I could really say mind, heart, body, spirit, soul. It was just too long of a title. <laughs> but like, we have parts. And I think the more we're in tune with our parts and understand each part, how they work, what they're meant for, the more healthy we can be as a person. I mean, we all experience dissidence and dysfunction, we all experience depression sadness, joy. We all experience anger, frustration. We all lament. We all mourn. We all grieve. We all celebrate. We are this wonderful collection of all these amazing things. We are amazing people with all these parts, and we live in an amazing world, and there is wonder, and there is tragedy and there's all this mixture of all these things and we experience all these things understanding how to process all these things coming at us right the world's i feel like the world's always coming at us like with with data or is experiencing the world through all these senses and sensations emotions thoughts i think it's important to understand how everything works especially when it's not working right and I think we'll start with there. I think this is really interesting and really important. Um, let me go to this scripture. Here we go. Let me see if this is right. Yeah, okay. This is from Romans chapter eight. Romans chapter eight is actually one of my favorite um, all time scriptures. I just love this It's so cool like uh it's just this there's so much meat and wisdom in this one verse in Romans chapter 8. This is Paul writing to the church in Rome. He says, Those who live according to the flesh have their mind set on what the flesh desires, but those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their mind set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is, not, is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it. these two dominant forces in the world that are influencing us, right? Flesh and spirit. Flesh is translated from the Greek sarx sometimes. Uh, A lot of people really, uh, theologians and Christian thinkers, like they feel like Paul really did a disservice in talking about the fleshly nature in terms of the physical body. Because... The Christian church has just been so tied up in knots about the sinfulness of the physical body when Paul wasn't really even pointing to that. He was using that as a metaphor. Sarks, not literally the physical body, but this this nature, this fleshly nature, this worldly anti-God nature. Anyway, he talks about flesh and spirit, these two different forces in the world. Um, and then he talks about the mind, our mind being governed influenced, controlled by the flesh or the spirit. Isn't that interesting? And then he also says um, you are not in the realm of the flesh but are in the realm of the spirit if the spirit of God lives in you. Realm. World. Reality. There's the reality of the flesh and there's the reality of the spirit. And your mind this is interesting. I think this is the first place I want to start. Your mind can be dominated by one or the other. Your mind, what is your mind? What is our mind? Well, actually, you know, throughout history, different cultures, different and even in different, you know, places in the world today, people think differently about the mind. Like what is our mind? I think this is very interesting. First thing we might think of is the brain, like we have this we have our brain which is like the data center of the body. So the body has its own mind, but is our mind physical? Not really. Um, You know, in a purely materialistic world, we would say the mind is physical. It's the brain, and the brain using neural function and neural processes, neurotransmitters and stuff. It experiences things. It, It is the data center. Everything comes from and to. Like, the mind controls, or the brain controls the body. It also, like, It receives all the stimulus from the body, interprets it, stores it. You know, in a lot of ways, the brain is kind of, for the body, the center of knowing. But most cultures, most people conceptualize the mind as something other, something bigger. And, you know, you've probably heard of -of out-of-body experiences, NEDs near or NDEs, near-death experiences, where people leave their body, but they're still experiencing things. Um, and, you know, the idea of clairvoyance and all that stuff is like the the idea that we can leave our bodies. Well, all that entails this idea that we are more than our body and we have a mind that is something more than our physical brain. And here in Romans, Paul said, yes, like, you have a mind, a way of perceiving things, knowing things, understanding things, even a way of maybe cataloging and storing experience. You have a mind, but there's a, there's a difference between the mind controlled by the flesh and the mind controlled by the spirit. Or we could say the mind which only has the material in view and the mind which has the spiritual in view. And Paul really paints this picture of, Which, you know, of dominance, of control. Like, which which, um, reality is your mind more dominated by? I think a lot of times it's very easy for us to have a mind dominated by the material reality. That's just kind of natural. It would be very easy. We live and breathe in this physical body physical existence you know it's the most tangible the most directly daily kind of you know substantive substantive part of ourselves right i mean you can't deny you have a body nobody's going around saying well maybe there's a physical reality maybe there's not we're definitely spirits (laughs) no it's the opposite right People are like, yeah, yeah, obviously, mind, we, we're, the material cosmos is real, you have a, uh, although there's people that, <laughs> oh my gosh, simulation theory, I think is what it's called, where where some people, like, just speculate that maybe we're just all simulations in a computer, big, some kind of big organic computer, like, how do we know, anyway, that's just crazy stuff, but, um, No, I mean, most people, it's like, yeah, the physical is the most real. And the spiritual is the part that's like, hmm, what is it? Where is it? We don't see it. How do we even know it's real? Religious texts tell us about it. There's ghost stories, shadow people, angels, all that stuff, right? But the reality is that it's very easy just to live out of the physical reality. To be dominated by... The material reality. But when Paul talks about the mind dominated by the flesh, it's not exactly what he's talking about, but it certainly entails the idea that it's a lot easier just to live in the material and the spiritual reality is a lot harder to kind of incorporate in our day-to-day experience. And I get that. Paul gets that. And that's what he's talking about. There's this wrestle. How do we live in such a way that the spiritual reality Which the Bible says is the more, the more permanent, the more which supersedes the physical. Like it's the more important. It's really, really the truest reality. How do we live where where that reality truly is the most dominant in our experience? How do we live out of the spiritual more than the physical when the physical seems to be more tangible? There is a wrestle. What does it even mean for the mind to be dominated by the flesh instead of the spirit? It's not not directly pointing to the fact that we live in the physical world, but it's saying that there is a way of living dominated by a mindset which is anti-spiritual, you could say, right? What is this anti-spiritual mindset? It's just... Um, I just looked up and the clouds are gently rolling by. It's a pale blue sky, a lot of clouds. There's like some pink still on some of the clouds from the sunrise. It's just really pretty. I was like, ooh, nice. What is the fleshly nature as described by the Bible? Well, it's really being grounded in a way that's self-centered, me-focused, being about myself, um but not being in tune with God and directed by God in life you know when it says the mind dominated by the spirit it's not lowercase s it's capital S meaning the Holy Spirit and really Paul even says I think it's Ephesians. Our fight is not against flesh and blood. In fact, this was a verse. It says, I I won't look that up right now, but it says flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Gosh, where's that at? Let's see if I can find that one. Hmm. Anyway, it's like... Well, so the idea, like the, I'm sorry, the idea of the fleshly nature is this idea that there's, there are these two forces in the world dominating the world. There's the spiritual reality and the physical reality, but there, the physical reality is dominated and the fleshly nature is dominated by one kind of mind. It's not just our mind, like if on the good side, the spirit side, there is a a entity, the Holy Spirit, who is guiding us, then on the other side there is an entity, and that is the powers of the darkness of the air. When the Bible talks about the world, it says it talks about the world being under Satan's control. It talks about the world being evil. It's not talking about the material world at all, actually. It's talking about When it says the world, it means a system of order. Like there is is an order to the world according to God, and there is an order to the world according to God's antithesis, God's nemesis, Satan. Whether you want to imagine it as an actual being or not, there is this order that is against the order of God. That is the mind dominated by the flesh. It is an order which is anti-God. Not just like, I hate God, but it's like, I mean, the reality is we can be claim, we can claim to know God but be living in opposition to the way God desires us to live and the mind dominated by the spirit is different than the mind dominated by the flesh the fleshly mind is dominated by me centeredness the spiritual mind is dominated by God centeredness I'll go to this see if I can find this verse um Yeah, here we go. There, here's some interesting verses. This is Psalms 46:10. It says, "Be still and know that I am God." And then Isaiah 26. "I will keep him." This is God speaking. "I will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on me because he trusts in me." Um, <laughs> I think this is interesting when it comes to the mind. The mind, really, the mind controlled by, dominated by the flesh, is really the mind under my control. In a sense, I'm trying to, you know, it's my thoughts. Everything is just about me and my thoughts and my. It's I'm a mind and a body. The mind controlled by the spirit, is this idea that now we are surrendering ourselves to God's direction. And in, it's in First Corinthians. I I reference this verse. Uh, a while ago one of my podcasts but it says we have the mind of Christ you know it's, it's another it's another conversation in 1 Corinthians about the spirit the spiritual what it means to be a spiritual person but really what it means the mind controlled by the spirit is a mind that is not dominated by me trying to get what i want my own thoughts and all of my own thinking but it is a mind that is as Isaiah says a a mind stayed on God or a mind who is in stillness. I'm, I'm in the middle of a series called The Practice of Stillness right now through the mono contemplative. And it's the same idea. Like the mind controlled by the spirit. And the word control can be deceptive. It's not like there's a a forced control, but it's like we have surrendered to God and our mind is set upon God. Oh yeah, and there's this other... I mean, go to this verse, too. I'm jumping around. hope you don't mind. It's um, back this way. Oh, darn it. Oh, um, well, it just says, yeah, and the peace of God. I'm just doing it from memory because I, I can't find the verse. The peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. It's interesting. It says, The peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds. So, this idea that the mind, which is dominated by the reality of the Spirit, is a mind that is still, a mind that is quiet. And the reality is that, you know, I'm a mystic, I've learned to hear God. And the reality of a mind stayed on God is a mind that is quiet with its own thoughts. It's not dominated by its own thoughts, its own wants, its own desires. Or all the voices in the world, you could picture it like all these voices. And What voice are we listening to? Are we going to listen to God? Well, only a mind that is still and at rest can hear God. The part of us that, that is the mind... Like, our thinking center. It's what I would call our rational center. There is one primary function of our rational center. It's a problem-solving center. this has to do with mindfulness and meditation. Quieting that center, that's a part of us, our mind. It's a part of who we are. Like, quieting our mind is hard. In... The dominance of our mind itself, apart from God, the mind is going through the world, saying, "It just sees problems." That's a problem-solving. It's a problem-solving uh, problem center, or it has a problem-solving function, and so it's always looking for problems to solve. That's not a bad thing when there are problems to solve, right? I work construction every day. Like, I just I'm in, almost done building a 16 foot by 12 foot covered screened-in porch. I love it. I, you know, I had a basic idea how I would build it. I know how to do framing. I know I'm a carpenter. But I didn't, like, have blueprints and an engineer draw something. Like, I know how to put stuff together. And I sat and I, piece by piece, point by point, in the process. First, I pour the concrete. I had to pour one, two, let's see, one, four, six concrete footers because code now says you cannot bury wood in the ground with a in in concrete which is what you used to do but you have to f- do a concrete footer you put a bolt in it with that bolt you attach a metal bracket which then to which then attaches the post so like my point is like I went through this was my my rational center my problem solving center I loved it it was so much fun I just got to go through and say okay well here's what I got to do next how do I do that okay I got all the posts set how am I going to these were I had to put up six foot by six foot ten or six six by six six inch by six inch ten foot post they were heavy i had to figure out how to how can i get these they have to stand in the air upright and then i had to attach the um ledger skirt to them like i had to figure out how to make kind of keep them stable to attach the next parts which stabilize them but also create the joist system the under um supporting the under girders of the deck anyway like, it was so much fun. Like, the, my, my rational problem solving center in that situation was perfect. That's exactly what there is a problem, there is a, something to solve, and I had to think my way through it. The problem when, with the mind, though, always try the rational center mind, always trying to solve problems, is sometimes there aren't problems to solve. You're sitting down listening to a friend who's struggling, some kind of issue, relational, boss at work, emotional relationships, marriage, and they're telling you, they're pouring their heart, they're struggling. Maybe they're crying, they're frustrated. And you you know what your rational center is doing? What's the problem and what's the solution? What's the problem? I feel so bad, I'm just so hurt. What's the problem? What's the solution? Oh, I really hate my boss. I just, I don't know. Maybe I should get a different job. What's the problem? What's the solution? Well, hey, here's what I think the problem is, and here's how to fix it. And what often happens? Uh, you know, a lot of things can happen, but usually what, what people want, they're like, man, I just wanted you to listen to my problem. I don't want you to fix me. I'm not a problem to fix. <laughs> so often there's, I mean, look, I'm married. It took me a long time to learn to stop trying to fix my wife's problems. When she, was, when she was talking to me, she didn't want advice. Maybe she might want advice at some point, but what she really wanted first was to talk, and no, I listened, and that was it. Pour it out. Not to, not, she wasn't looking for answers and solutions to problems, but the rational center, that's all it knows how to do. If you only know how to live out of your rational center, if you think you're only a mind and a body, that creates a lot of problems. You know what it creates? Conflict. It creates, I think this is right, and I think that's the solution, and I think that those people are a problem, and I think that's a problem, and you're a problem, and that belief is a problem, and I'm listening to you, and I'm just picking out all the problems with what you're saying, and I have the solutions, and if you do this and do that, or think this, and you need to change that, everybody's walking around, we're a hyper rational society, if you don't know. I, I, I'm not, I won't go into the 3,000 year history of Western culture, but from Greek culture till now, intellectualism has just been the thing. We're hyper rational. We're a bunch of hyper rational, mind based people and bodies going around just seeing problems and solutions. And that is a problem. <laughs> and let me tell you the solution. <laughs> I'm kidding. Um, but no. How many problems are created by, hey, let's sit down and have dinner and just have a conversation. But I can't have a conversation without pointing at all the problems that, in what you're saying and talking about how I have the solutions. What does that create? It creates people who are just telling everybody else what's wrong and how to fix it. That's the world we live in. We live in a world where everybody's arguing about what's wrong and what's the solution. Well, that's wrong, and you're wrong, and he's wrong, and she's wrong, and that's wrong, and that political party, and that political idea, and this particular political program, or government program, and that religion, and this, it's always problem-solution. Well, if we just did this, and it's a negative stance. It's a mind steeped in negativity and bound towards negativity because it's always seeing what's wrong. When you walk through the world and you only see what's wrong, you walk through your house, everything's wrong, everything's imperfect, everything needs fixing. Man, that is a deeply negative mindset. It's steeped in dissatisfaction. If we only know how to approach the world with our rational center, our mind, if we only live out of that part, and that part dominates everything else, that's a problem. Mindfulness is the practice of quieting the mind and saying, you know what, I don't always need to be walking through the world finding problems and thinking about how to solve them. You know what? When it comes to heart matters, the mind doesn't really have much to say because it's a heart issue, and your heart has wisdom. When it comes to body issues, I know this may sound strange, but the body has its own wisdom. I learned this a lot from the enneagram. I don't know if you've the enneagram pictures. Each person is having three what? Three knowing centers: mind body and heart like like we all have three center we all actually have three minds we have three knowing so i call them knowing centers but we have three ways of processing data coming in from the world heart mind body the body feels certain things the mind has certain things coming to it in the form of thoughts and the emotions have certain things coming to them and or the heart has certain things coming to it in the form of emotions you have these three parts but if you think it's all mind and you're actually what, doing what I call minding the heart and minding the body you're trying to dominate the body with the mind and the heart with the mind and so when it comes to heart issues you're trying to figure it out like it's a problem that is a problem because the heart and feelings aren't logical I mean we know that they can't be solved logically how are they solved? heart to heart you ever heard that? let's have a heart to heart conversation <laughs> When someone is pouring their heart out to you, you need to turn your mind off and you need to listen and you need to sympathize. And that's what people want. When someone's pouring their heart out, they want your heart involved, not your mind. If you can't turn off your mind when it's a heart issue, if you can't turn off your mind when it's a body issue, that's a problem. Learning to live in your whole person, mind, heart, body, soul, spirit, is important. And there's a lot of dysfunction created when we can't do that. When we, because the mind tends to dominate so much. It's, that's why mindfulness, I mean it's huge right now. It's why mindfulness is so important. because Because the mind dominates so much and we can't seem to get out of it. It's important to start to learn how to turn it off. It's a problem if you can't, like imagine, I don't know. Imagine your car's moving and you can't stop it. That's a problem. Not being able to stop the mind is a problem. Why do you think people take drugs to go to sleep? They can't turn off their mind uh, You know, I have an overactive mind, so and I've had a breakdown i've had i've had literally had the experience of my mind being out of my control. A lot of people may not have that experience. You may feel like you're in control of your mind, but most often your mind is running. A lot of times, if you really, okay, yeah, this is the point. If you try to turn your mind off, when you really try to stop thinking, it's hard. That's what meditation does. It teaches you how to stop your rational center from being in motion. How to be still. I already talked about this. So the mind dominated by the spirit is a mind that knows how to be still. And why is it so important for the mind to be still? It's such a different way to live. I could do a lot of podcasts on this, but I hope I can kind of bring this to a good conclusion for you, a good kind of practical conclusion. But like the mind dominated by the spirit is a mind that knows how to be still. Why is that so important? I mean, even in our exchange with God, what, if, if our prayer life with God is like, hey, God, uh, I, you know, I'm struggling with this and I think this is the solution. Can you do that? Hey, God. Uh, this person over here has cancer. I want you to do this about that and I want you to do that. And look, and there's war over there. Can you do this? And what are we doing? We're coming to God with our mind involved and we're we're coming to God saying, hey God, I've thought it through. I see the problem and I see the solution. Could you do this and could you do that? Could you do this for me? If that's how we approach God from the rational center, what are we doing? We are telling God what to do and we've decided we think we know what's good and we're being God to God. God. If we come with a quiet mind, what does that do? Hey, God, I've, something's going on in me. You know what? Maybe I don't even know what it is. Could you show me what's going on? One. And two, could you show me what to do? <laughs> Man, isn't that amazing? If you can set aside your rational center and come to God with a quiet mind, guess what? You can start to be... A mystic, you can start to hear God. I mean, how can you hear God when all you're doing is listening to yourself? If we can translate the idea of the mind control by the flesh into anything, it is the mind controlled by its own thinking, its own rational process of I see a problem and I see a solution and I want this to happen. And I know what's going on, I figured it out. If we all just did this, we'd be fine. God, if you just did that, The mind dominated by the flesh is a mind dominated by its own thinking and it can't stop. It can't get quiet. It can't listen. It can't even listen to other people, let alone God. The mind controlled by the spirit is a mind that is quiet, that knows how to listen and perceive thoughts outside itself, direction outside itself. Can God speak to you? how will you, how will you ever know if you don't stop speaking to god and speaking to yourself and like you're the one always talking hey i'm a big talker man i feel like most of the time when i'm talking with people they lose interest way before i do i can talk about just a, i can talk about just about anything for a long time i know and i have an overactive mind i'm an adhd kid um And, like, one of the theories, there's no real known reason or known cause of ADHD. But the dominant theory is that the the actual brain is, like, working 10 times faster than the average brain. Which is why ADD, ADHD kids are so distracted because they're, like... Like if you're sitting in a classroom and the teacher's describing something and you get it in the first minute and then she takes another 20 minutes to describe it, what do you think's gonna happen? Your mind's gonna start to be like, "Oh, look out the window, what's going on?" I've, already, you know, I'm like bored here because my mind is so fast, I get things so quick. Um, then I'm distracted. I'm, I've moved on, and and the mind's always wanting more s- stimulus. Like I get it. I have an overactive mind. It's been really hard for me to learn to quiet my mind. But I can tell you there's nothing more beneficial in learning to hear God and learning to to just be at peace, learning to be a better person, learning to be a kinder person, a better listener, a more empathic person, sympathetic person, than turning off your mind. If, and I believe if as a culture... We could simply do this one thing. It would have huge, huge positive effects on our culture. If we could turn off our minds and learn how to be with people. Oh my gosh. Imagine a Republican and a Democrat that can turn off their Republican mind and their Democrat mind. And just sit with each other and enjoy each other's company. Without saying, you've got a lot of things wrong with your political philosophy. Imagine if we could just be with people and not critique those people or how they think or what they're doing and just be with people, walk with people, get to know people before our critical thinking processes come in and start evaluating and determining all the bad things with them. I mean, I'm down by a a river, do you hear it? But I mean, think about the the benefit of this one thing. This is why mindfulness and meditation has really become a huge deal in our culture, why people are so into it. Quieting the mind is so important. It allows us to begin to experience the world in a different way. It allows us to begin to receive things from the world around us instead of always pushing into the world, our thoughts and desires, and will and wants, our petty interests and our agendas. Like the rational center is always pushing and pushing and pushing, what it thinks, what it wants, what it desires, what it wishes. You know, it's like walking around everywhere. Um, my wife and I watch renovation shows. I just this came to my mind. There's one particular person who I won't name, who is just like the epitome of this kind of, of overactive critical mind like this person just loves to go into houses and start pointing out everything's wrong well i wouldn't have done well this is not right that's not right well they shouldn't have done that, that. and i you can see the superiority the smugness and the just this condescension like i know what's right and i know i can see everything wrong there is a power and there is a twisted kind of comfort we get from thinking that we see everything wrong and we know how to fix it and we know what's right and we're going to tell you how you're wrong and what you need to do and why you're such a bad person and like think about religion oh my gosh religion dominated by the critical rational mind oh my gosh think about all the problems that that's caused and uh, Christianity dominated by Western thinking. You know, Western Christianity isn't the only form of Christianity, but it's the, the, you know, from Catholicism to Protestantism. Protestantism, it's the dominant. Eastern Christianity, guess what? They're really good at meditation, at turning off the mind. Guess what? They're more mystical. Why? Because they, from the beginning... Understood the value of turning off the rational center in order to be more in tune with the world around them and with God. The mind controlled by the Spirit is a, the mind stayed upon. God is in perfect peace. I will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on me. Stayed, stilled, quiet, set. Think about your mind being still. It's fixed. It's not moving. It's at peace. Why We can have perfect peace when our mind is stayed on God. Well, why is God a factor in this? I think that's so interesting. Maybe this is kind of the big takeaway. If there's a mind bigger than mine in the world who sees things bigger than me, whose perception is really absolute, and who even knows how things should be more than me, what can I do? Like, if it's just me in the universe, I'm tapping my stick on the log. I'm a fidgety ADD person, you know? Uh, if, if there's a mind bigger than our mind in the world, guess what? We don't have to go around fixing everything or deciding how everything should be. We don't have to figure anything out, right? What do we need to do? We need to stop Trying to figure anything out and start getting in tune with the one who has already figured everything out. The mind set upon God brings peace because it brings peace from our rational center, which is actually always fomenting negativity because it's always looking for problems and solutions because it thinks that's what it's made to do and that's what it's actually good at when it's needed. But the mind whose dominant stance is quiet, who's waiting for God to speak, Waiting for things that even for other people that's listening, it's it's receptive, it's in an open stance, not a closed stance. Like you walking through the world from only your own thinking, it's a closed stance because everything is in you. It's about what's going on in you always and everything flows from in you out because you know everything and you can figure everything out. It's a closed stance towards everything and everyone. You're not going to listen to what other people have to say. They should listen to you. But if everyone's in that stance, a closed-off stance in the world, hmm, not a lot of love in that stance, not a lot of open-heartedness towards others, not a lot of willingness to listen to anybody else's ideas. Sound familiar? Yeah. But the mind, the person, rather, who recognizes that there is a mind outside of them that can actually do for them better than their mind, what they need, then my mind can be quiet because I don't have to figure anything out. I don't have to find the problem or the solution. I just have to listen. And I also trust that as God guides me, the mind of God with me in me, we have the mind of Christ. What? Like if something's wrong, God will show me. My job isn't to try and figure out problems and solutions. My job, my my core identity as a person, is trying to be in tune with God. Because God, man, if God sees everything, He sees way more than me. He knows way more than me. He knows even what I was made for. I'm just walking through the world like I can walk through the world completely, at peace. There's nothing I need to do. Guess what? Anything that's going to happen to me, God knows anything i need to do figure out god knows what's coming god knows where i need to be what i need to be doing i can be like i've experienced this when my like i have an overactive mind as i said man my i can be so consumed by one even one particular problem i can i can get so consumed by it because i've got to figure it out whether it's a real problem i can start to my mind can go quickly down a path with fear about even a fictitious problem. I can start to think about the safety of my kids. I can start to think and obsess about the um, soundness of my house or my car. I used to do this all the time. I would be driving, my car would make a sound. I would begin to obsess about that sound and what did that mean? And my Because why? The rational center sees a problem and it can't help but try to find a solution. And if that's always going on, You can see how there's never any peace. The mind set on the flesh, which is the mind under its own control, trying to always fix, see problems and fix them. That's a mind that is just a wreck. But the mind set on the spirit is at peace. The mind controlled by the spirit. Perfect peace comes when our mind is set upon God, meaning our mind is like, in a sense, it's fixed on God. Like, our mind is almost attached to God. And when God moves, our mind moves. When God moves our mind, then it moves. And we wait for God to move it. <laughs> then God is the mover. And if, if God doesn't want it to move, it won't. And we don't have to worry about trying to figure anything out or think through anything. God's going to show us. That's a life lived by revelation. That's where we come to God and we ask God to speak and we ask God to show us and reveal to us and we're not trying to figure it out and we don't come to God telling God what to do. We come to God and we ask God to tell us what to do. So our mind doesn't need to be going all the time. We know how to turn it off and we know it's there when we need to use it and we know how to use it. We know what it's for. I didn't talk very much about anything else other than the mind, but I think that's pretty good. Like, learning... Like, here's the thing. We're dominated by the mind. You can't begin to explore other parts of yourself until you turn that part off, because it's so dominant. And that's... I guess that's the big thing. That's the big thing of what I'm talking about, the big difference between the mind controlled by the flesh and the mind controlled by the spirit. Like... You'll never get to all the other parts of yourself, heart, body, soul, spirit, if you don't first turn the mind off. The mind is going to dominate your life for the rest of your life, and it's going to dominate everything about your experience. Because it is the dominant part of how you experience the world. Unless you turn it off, you'll never begin to explore the other parts of yourself. That's the purpose of mindfulness. And so practically speaking, when it meditation, uh, I have a f- friend who I've been in contact with, another friend through audio app, app, an audio app, but he's written a book on centering prayer. I'm actually going to have to interview him soon, but he, it's what he calls daily sit, like every day for at least 20 minutes, he actually purposely gets in a position to get his mind quiet. It's a practice. It's a daily practice of learning to turn it off. Like, it, let me tell you, man, if you sit down and try to turn your mind off, it's going to drive you crazy because what are you going to try to do? Because how do you try to solve problems with the mind? How do you solve the problem of turning the mind off with the mind? <laughs> you can't. You can't solve this issue with the mind because the mind is the problem in this issue. Turning the mind off is the thing that needs to happen. The mind can't even conceive of doing that. It is hard. When all you know of your experience, all you know how to, to, you know, if all you know of how to do anything is through the mind, how do you learn to do something without the mind? It's really hard. I started, I just went through scripture and I just picked out really short scriptures that were very hopeful This was after my breakdown, and I realized, oh my gosh, I need to learn how to turn this thing off, because it went haywire. I mean, I can't begin to describe how haywire my mind went after my breakdown. It was, uh, but I was like, man, I did not have a choice. I needed to learn to turn my mind off. So I went and started looking up a lot. It was mostly Psalms, positive scriptures, you know, really short. And I would sit, started with five minutes, I would sit and repeat that short verse over and over. I would try to not think, not picture anything, just listen to the words I was saying. Most meditation is breathing. You breathe in a word, you breathe out a word. I, My favorite one is peace, be still. I breathe in, peace, breathe out, be still. Um, I don't say it audibly. I say it in my mind. So I'm trying to just focus on the words and focus on my breath. And that become, begins... that. Sorry, I get tongue-tied sometimes. That begins to be my focus, my breathing, the Word. That takes over my focus. And it allows my mind to rest. I mean, just think how how this works practically. People literally sometimes cannot go to sleep because they cannot turn their mind off. I'm sure we've all experienced that at some point or another. That's a problem. Not knowing how to turn your mind off, not even knowing you should, I guess. That's a place to start. Hey, you need to turn your mind off. It's not the only way to experience the world. And then starting to do it that, you know, how do we stay our mind on God? How do we start to get the mind quiet? Often we think about... Um, we think of this in terms of just rep- a replacement. Like, I have my own mind dominated by my own, own thoughts. I need to get God's mind dominated by His thoughts in my mind. And so one will push out the other. We think it's like going to the store and buying a new refrigerator and you take out the old There's this hole in your kitchen where the refrigerator goes. But the thing is, you can't get the new one in until you get the old one out, and there's in between, there's an empty hole. It's not an immediate thing where you get rid of your mind and immediately God's mind comes in. The first thing you have to do is begin to have nothing. It's hard. It's like getting put to death. It's like putting something to death burying it in the ground, and waiting for it to be resurrected. (laughs) Isn't that cool? The problem is the in-between, the nothingness. Contemplation. This is what contemplation calls the dark night of the soul, and I won't get into that. But basically, it's this ability to wait in a space of nothingness, of letting go of what we do have, and getting nothing in return For a time, and being willing to wait in the space in between, in the nothingness, in the quiet, man, you know how many times you're you're going to just naturally, instead of waiting for God to speak, you're going to just naturally want to just come up with a solution on your own. Trying to quiet your mind, you're going to want to start thinking again. It's hard. It takes. Day after day, week after week, year after year. It takes practice. It takes practice to begin to quiet our minds. Until our minds get quiet and stay quiet, we can't even begin to hear God. We can't even begin to experience the world in a different way. We can't even begin to experience other parts of ourselves. First, get quiet. First, let this part of ourselves go, turn it off, and see what else is there. <laughs> You'll never hear other voices. You'll never, never hear other ideas if you can't stop the obsessiveness of your own. Man, there's so many good benefits that come from this, even just in, the, in a practical human sense. Being able to turn off your mind in the presence of another person and just listen and enjoy the moment. Enjoy maybe a heart experience in the moment or maybe even just a visceral, like purely body experience without trying to evaluate it, assess it, correct it. You know? Fix it. Ah. There's such wisdom in understanding that we are so much more than a mind and a body. We are a mind, a heart, a body, a spirit, and a soul. Ah. How do those other parts work? How will you ever know if you don't stop the part that's dominating your experience, the mind? All right. Give it a try. Try meditation. Pick a word, a phrase. Get quiet. Try to just focus, breathe, relax, let go. A lot of life is letting go and seeing what comes in the space in between. That is meditation. That is mysticism. And never hear God if you cannot stop listening to your own obsessive voice and thoughts. It's just a different way of being in the world. It's a challenge. <laughs> uh, I appreciate you guys listening. I hope it's been helpful for you. This one was really... Mm, I don't know. There's a lot of different places I could have gone. I wasn't sure where to go or where this would go, which is often the case, but I decided to go with it anyway. And I think it's good. I think it's a good encouragement in terms of this one part of ourselves. There's so many other parts, and we can get into that some other time, but for now, I think that's enough. hope this has encouraged you to try and do some work when it comes to meditation, you know comes to living and leaning into a different way of being in the world, not always dominated by your thinking center, your rational center. All right, guys, thanks for listening. Um, As always, you can catch more content on www.moderncontemplative.com. I do two podcasts, one on Saturday, one on Wednesday. Wednesday, we're in a eight-part series called The Practice of Stillness. Uh, I think we're three parts in so look for that too alright love you guys bye